Good morning and welcome to our Monday morning chapel. I'd like to begin uh, today with a prayer. Um, Reverend John Molstead, my brother, uh, was taken to his heavenly home this past Friday and uh, very unexpectedly. For the past 14 years, John has served as the president of our ELS that owns and operates Bethany. And uh, he once taught here in the college, also taught in our seminary. And uh, his death was very unexpected, it appears to have been some sort of heart trouble. He was just a guest in our chapel a number of days last week. I sat with him right over here on Wednesday. So we'd like to offer a prayer today on behalf of his family and our church body as well. Let us pray. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, in your wisdom you have called your servant John from this veil of tears to the eternal mansions you have prepared for your faithful. We are grateful for the many blessings you brought into the lives of his family members, especially his wife, Joslyn. Comfort them now with your presence through your word. Guide them in the days and months ahead. Give them reassurance of the wonderful hope of a reunion of your saints in glory. Be with the members of our Evangelical Lutheran Synod. May your hand of blessing now rest upon Reverend Glenn Obenberger as he assumes leadership as synodical president. Grant him wisdom, ability, and strength to carry out the duties of this office. Bless the labors of this church body that we may remain faithful confessors of your truth in the harvest fields that are so ripe in our day. And teach all of us to number our days that we may gain hearts of wisdom through faith in Christ. We ask all of this in his saving name. Amen. Please join me then in the prayer for Monday morning as you find it printed responsibly. At the beginning of the week, I cry to you, O Holy Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, that you would fill my heart and mind with your Holy Spirit, that I may think, speak, and do only that which pleases you. Unite my thoughts and desires with yourself in the love of Jesus Christ. Cleanse my conscience with his blood, that I may grow in you this entire week, yes, all the days of my life. Make the vanity of this world bitter to me, that you may become the more sweet. Bless all my labor and guide me with your wisdom that I may be cheerful and confident and also faithful in all my work. Be the beginning and the end of all my labor to your glory and my salvation. Amen.
Our scripture reading for our meditation today is taken from St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the first chapter, beginning with verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save those that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would strengthen us in our faith through them. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to tell you about one of the most brilliant women I've ever met. Her name was Stella. And Stella was probably in her early 80s when I first met her. And uh, she was one of my shut-ins. She and her husband lived outside of town a ways, and I would go visit them on a regular basis, bring them the Lord's Supper and have a devotion with them. They always appreciated me coming. Stella, I don't think, had more than an eighth grade education, if that. And uh, she, her job for over 40 years was to work at a restaurant in town where all she did in the morning, she'd get there at five in the morning, would chop vegetables. That's all she did for 40 years. And uh, that was her occupation. She lived in a tiny little trailer with her husband outside of town and very poor. When I would go see them, I remember seeing how the place was decorated. The furniture looked like it was about 50 years old and you could tell they just did not have much money at all. But I always enjoyed going to visit Stella and her husband Ray. They were some of my, some of the, they used to teach us in seminary, if you're ever feeling down in the ministry, go visit your shut-ins. They'll always cheer you up. And that was very true. And her, her husband became very ill all of a sudden, and because of that, uh, she likewise had to move into a nursing home with him, and they were now in separate rooms. And after she'd been there a few months, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and uh, kind of the early stages. And I just got, had heard about this, so the next day I went to see her. And I remember as I came into her room, maybe some of you have heard me tell this, Right above her bed, she had taken a crucifix about this big and had taped it to the wall with about 50 pieces of scotch tape just hanging above her bed. And um, aesthetically, it looked horrible, but spiritually, it was about the most beautiful decoration I've ever seen. And when I asked her about it, why she had done that, she said, I'm afraid that as I get older, I may start to forget things, and I don't ever want to forget about my Savior. From heaven's perspective, uh, this woman deserves a doctorate in theology. From heaven's perspective, she should be home decorator of the year, and she should be made the next keynote speaker at any conference that is offered here in this world. Give me just a spoonful of that woman's trust in Christ, and I'll be happy. She really appreciated God's grace. 
How rare it is to find somebody in this world, uh, and this is true through all the ages, way back to when Paul wrote these words, how true it is to, uh, how challenging it is to find somebody who loves God's grace in Christ, who is really well known and very famous and popular. It's pretty, pretty unusual. It happens. If we hear about an athlete that seems to be a devout Christian or maybe someone in Hollywood, uh, usually it kind of goes through the Christian church pretty quickly that people know who that person is. But it's actually quite rare, as St. Paul says. The words right after our text, he emphasizes this. He says, not many of you, speaking to Christians, not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. And yet, the writer to the Hebrews says it so well about God's holy Christian church in the world. Even though they live in a trailer and look like they have nothing in the world, the writer of Hebrews says the world was not worthy of them. The way the world looks at things and the wisdom that this world comes up with has no time for the foolishness of the gospel. Unbelief looks at the things of Christ and the the message about preaching repentance to our hearts of our sins and having us drop before God and ask his forgiveness and learning about Christ paying for our sins on the cross, God justifying us through the work of Jesus, declaring us holy only by faith. The, The world looks at that message and just mocks it and thinks it seems absolutely ridiculous. It seems like drivel and fantasy to the world. And you as someone who believes and trusts in that, you as someone that cares about that, may even end up being seen as an annoyance to the secular world around you. But before we shake our heads at the unbelieving world, we need to also acknowledge that deep down inside of each one of our hearts, there are little bubbles of skepticism in us as well. And there's a strong temptation in us to kind of slide back into how the world looks at the gospel how the world treats God's grace, how the world treats this work that our Savior has come to do for us. And if it was just left up to us on our own, based on our own reason and logic, that's where we would be. But God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who has come and worked his grace in our hearts to grab onto Christ and believe and trust in him. And were it not for that powerful work of God through the gospel, through this message of Christ crucified, None of us would be embracing it right now. None of us would have that. Martin Luther said this when it comes to spiritual matters. Faith in Christ, he says, is given to us to throttle the neck of reason and to strangle the brute. I like that. Think how foolish the gospel is. Think what a strange plan it is that God worked out for us. No one on earth could ever have come up with it. Luther called it an alien teaching. It's something so completely foreign to how any human religion has tried to devise anything, that God had to come down here and do it all for us, and that he's done that for us. And Luther says, that precious faith that God gives us to believe and trust in that throttles our reason. It throttles the reason of the world. But it's that very gospel that contains with it the power to change our hearts, to love God's grace, to appreciate that grace and lean on it. And in order to emphasize this all the more, that this is by God's doing, listen to what God says. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. 
God chose intentionally to wrap up the way to heaven in something that is so completely strange to the world in order to really frustrate the unbelief in this world and to, to take away from you and me any prideful thought that somehow we had either come up with something or we somehow could participate in this to help make ourselves better before God to get ourselves to heaven. God knew that was impossible. And so the plan that he devised and worked out and has brought to you is absolute foolishness compared to how we think. And yet, of course, it's still wiser than anything man will ever come up with. So he, he, he desires to take away from you and from me any conceit in our heart, any pride in our heart, that somehow he, he has done something for me because of something I've done or how good I am. God just rips that all away, throws it away, and he takes you to the cross on the wall, taped there with 50 pieces of scotch tape, and he says, this is why. Because I've had a merciful, gracious heart toward you, sending my son to die for you. This is the only reason why you have any hope before me. And you and I have been blessed to know that, to have that worked in our hearts, to be made God's children by this precious gift of faith. I love this line that Paul says, speaking of how it's all by grace alone. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Do you notice that first phrase? It pleased God. Isn't it kind of neat to think that from God's perspective in heaven, it makes him happy, it gives him pleasure in his heart to have worked this in you. It makes God joyful inside that he was able to work this in you through the power of his Holy Spirit calling you in your baptism. And so as much as the world may laugh at this message, as much as you and I might be tempted at times even to think it is foolishness, may we always treasure this marvelous grace and live in this foolish teaching according to the world's perspective and tape it on the wall above your bed. Amen. We rise to join in singing the, the three verses indicated of our closing hymn.
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go now in his peace. Amen.